Hello again, welcome back to Bear Books Podcast. This is the penultimate episode for season three, and it's flown by yet again. We're hosted by yours truly, April Berry and Daisy Ray. We're all about appreciating indie authors, so we've got interviews and reviews, writing and reading you flash fiction stories, and best of all, getting authors noticed by their readers. This week, we are bringing you no less than four totally original, never-before-heard-or-seen flash fiction stories based on the the under-the-bed writing prompt. We'll kick off with a sci-fi meets fantasy story written by Gerry O'Keefe, read by April in her own delightful fashion. Then I will read you my story, and if gossip were a genre, this would be it. Then April will be back to read you her quirky story that gave me the shivers. You'll have to wait and see why. Thanks. And I will round us off reading a thriller written by Carolyn Ward-Daniels that she has titled The Perpetrator. Story time is now upon us. Let's crack on. My heart was beating out a samba against my ribcage. It felt like it was crushing the oxygen supplies to my brain. I couldn't breathe. Sweat was bursting from every pore. It was my birthday and I was under my bed looking for my presence when I saw it, glowing with strange writing that danced across the wrapping paper to the rhythm of my heartbeat. Then I heard it whisper, Open my pages to discover my wonder and magic within. Still shaking, I crawled slowly towards the present and gazed upon its strange wrapping paper. The writing seemed to stop moving and formed words in English, which read, Open me to discover my magic within. Once I gathered my breath, I tentatively, but with a lot of curiosity, opened the package. Inside was this amazing alien-looking leather-bound book. However, instead of normal pages, I discovered each page within was a mirror. Each mirrored page reflected various adventures at different stages of my lifetime. The first image I glanced upon was a webbed creature with gills on its neck, standing in a blue lagoon, holding a trident. In the next, I was a teenager sporting a boarding school uniform, wearing glasses with long flowing hair, covering my strange shaped ears. Then I turned into a superhero with a cape and an alien crest on my chest that shape-shifted periodically. The next page portrayed me in my late twenties, dressed like Dr Jekyll, then turning into Mr Hyde. It was heartening to discover that there were also normal reflections too, me as a footballer holding a trophy aloft, another at my wedding with an unrecognisable beautiful brunette beside me. The pages showed children in my life growing up before my eyes. In fact, my entire life seemed to live out in front of me on those pages. Flicking back to the first mirror page, I discovered other adventures, hunting with that trident, meeting a beautiful girl, falling in love and saving her life. Each page I turned, adventure after adventure played out before me, one after another, mesmerising me until I was lost in time. That is, until I got to the last mirror. It shocked me to see myself as an old man, still under the bed. I slowly moved my hand to my face, and the reflection did the same. To my horror, I could feel the wrinkles on my face. I snapped the book closed and slowly crawled back out from under the bed. I was covered in cobwebs. I screamed. My brother's skeleton was on the bed, spiders crawling all over his cobweb corpse. 
I looked out of the window. My reflection stared back at me, which was still old and wrinkled. Looking past the reflection, it appeared the apocalypse had happened while I was under that bed. Everywhere was in ruins, spaceships crashed on the ground, rotting alien and human corpses scattered everywhere. Throughout all this, I had been safe under the bed, living life after life of adventure and wonder. While gathering my thoughts on the scene in front of me, the room spun and the floor fell beneath me. It seemed I was falling through space. Everything went black. After what felt like forever, I heard a voice and found I was being shaken and woken up. It was my brother. Happy birthday, bro. He handed me this present. Have a look at what I've got for you. I slowly looked around. Relief washed over me as I looked at normal surroundings. Looking at my brother, anticipation and excitement washed over me. I gasped as my brother handed me the present from my dreams. You're looking a little perplexed, so what did you think of that? I think it was absolutely fascinating. And I have to say, as ever, Jerry has got one of the most exuberant thought processes and imaginations of anyone that writes for the podcast. He has, I've got to say. I actually really liked this and he was quirky and I kind of got lost in, in it all. It reminded me a little bit of Benjamin Button. Really? Yeah, it did a little bit. I don't know why, it just triggered a memory of Benjamin Button in me. Yeah. It's not the kind of sort of story I would pick up and read or the kind of book genre that I would read. Yeah. But those small bits like that, I can handle and I can enjoy and I can get lost in. I wouldn't want to be reading anything more because fantasy science fiction is not my thing. But a short snippet like that, I must admit I was quite impressed by that story. I do like Jerry's imagination. It is weird. It is wacky. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of glad I don't live in his imagination, let's put it <laughs> that way. Yeah, totally. I tell you what was fascinating about the story for me is to have a book without words where you turn the pages and it's a mirror and you're seeing lives being lived out in front of you. I thought that was fascinating. How the hell he thinks up stuff like that, I have no clue. No, I don't either. Very impressive, isn't it? It is. That's that's really good. And you can imagine picking up this old book that's leather bound and, and the the leather on it is a little bit alien-like, it's snake-like type thing, and opening it, and each page is just a mirror, and you can see the story. I wonder if it was in 3D, if those stories were in 3D, or were they played out in 2D? Well, if it was in a mirror, when you look in a mirror, it's like looking through a window, isn't it, really? When you look back at yourself, like in your mirror, for example, you don't see yourself in 2D, do you? You see yourself in full glorious technicolor 3d wrinkles yeah, and all. So. there's a depth of feel to it i suppose yeah thank you very much for that jerry that was really really a good start to the podcast i thought perfect perfect way to start the podcast yes thank you jerry from me also so we're gonna have a bit of gossip now then daisy from you are we oh yes a bit of the over the garden fence gossip from the old girl can't wait to tell you about it This is my offering for this week's writing prompt, Under the Bed. I want to tell you a story that was told to me by my doddery old neighbour Gladys. I'll warn you up front, Gladys was not what you would call reliable, or even honest most of the time. 
She spun a good yarn, though, and whether or not her stories were true, they were entertaining as hell. I'd soaked them up like a sponge for the whole five years I'd lived next door to her, even look forward to them if I'm honest. This particular story was delivered on bated breath while her eyes darted round like she was waiting to be reprimanded for daring to repeat such words. She was a true drama queen. I loved it. When I got off the bus on the way home from work and saw Gladys lurking in her front garden, I grinned to myself thinking, oh, here we go. I'd barely got the garden gate shut behind me before she launched into it with that gleam in her eye. Oh, I'm glad you're home. I've just got off the phone to our pearl. Oh yeah, how is she? I asked with a smile. She was a pleasant woman, Pearl. All smiles and ample bosom, and she made a mean apple pie. Let me tell you, she beamed, before lowering her voice like we were co-conspirators in some secret service shenanigans. Did I ever tell you about our Pearl's youngest, Sharon? Just divorced from that no-good shit she's been married to for far too long. Anyway, she just moved into a new flat up the high street, got one of them communal doors that shuts behind you and locks itself. So anyway, she went down there to pick up a mail chatting on the phone to our Pearl, telling her all about the flat. And when she got back, she sat on the bed to open a mail, still on the phone to our Pearl. Well, anyway, she dropped it on the floor, the phone, I mean, and it slid under the bed. She had to lie on the floor to get it when something caught her eye. There was only someone under the bed. Oh, my God, I gasped. It terrified her. He was lying dead still with his back to her, not moving a muscle. Pearl said, ah, Sharon didn't scream. She'll never know. There must have been so many thoughts rushing through her head, but she stayed proper calm and played it brilliantly. Bloody old Gladys, what did she do? She picked up her phone, that's what she did, and said to our Pearl, Sorry Mum, I dropped my phone. I'm just going to get a quick shower and I'll call you back. The bathroom is right by her bed, so she went in there and quietly locked the door behind her. She turned on the shower and climbed out the window and called the police. Damn lucky she didn't move into the third floor is all I can say. She'd have broken her bloody legs jumping out that window. I'm shaking just thinking about it. The police told her not to go back in, like she needed telling that, but to wait for them across the street. So she sort of stood behind a car across the road monitoring the bathroom window and seeing if anyone came out the front door of the building. She called our pearl back while she waited for the police and you know she were round there in a flash. Got there right before the police did. They were right on the ball, straight in the building to see what was what. They were only in there a couple of minutes when two of them came out holding a skinny, scruffy-looking fella. His eyes looked crazy, but he didn't try to get away. Probably didn't have the strength. The officer that had stood with Sharon while the police searched her flat, she was a right mess by then, shivering and crying, told her they'd found the man stood outside her bathroom door holding one of her kitchen knives, waiting for it to come out. It apparently crept in the entry door while she was getting her mail and hid under the bed. Turns out he was a homeless person. If they don't lock him up in a mental hospital after this, then I don't know what. The police told our Pearl that what our Sharon did was truly amazing. If she'd screamed when she saw him, this could have ended so differently. Wow. She's lucky she's still here to tell the tale, Gladys. Are you going over to... 
Just then, we could hear Gladys's phone ringing insistently from the house. I better get that, she said, all wide-eyed. She turned and shuffled away down the path towards the front door. As she got to the door, she looked over her shoulder and warned me. Check under your bed tonight, dear. Good neighbours are hard to come by. You know that sentence at the end? Check under your bed, good neighbours are hard to come by. I'm assuming she was trying to look after you, but it came across a bit sinister and a bit sort of, I'm going to be under your bed tonight, so you just watch out what you're doing. (laughs) Well, I did mention at the beginning of the story that our Gladys was a bit of a drama queen. Yeah, I get that, that that it happens. I mean, I watch an awful lot of American drama series where folk creep in and hide under beds and in closets and then come out in the middle of the night and rape and murder and mutilate people. Yeah. So I can I can see where it's coming from. But, I mean, she were positively relishing in the fact that a relation of hers was nearly murdered. I know. She loves it, does Gladys. In my mind's eye, when I was writing this one, Pearl and Gladys, to me, are like those two old ladies played by Les Dawson and that other one. You know, where they've got their arms folded oh, under Roy, their bosoms. Was it Roy Barraclough? It yes, was, that's wasn't it? it. Yeah. That's how I imagine Gladys and Pearl. Yeah, I can see that now. But she absolutely, none of it was, she wasn't sorry. She wasn't compassionate. She wasn't empathetic. No, she was no concern. No, it was like, I've got a really, really good story to tell you about one of my relatives that nearly got killed. With, yeah. And you can imagine that glee in her voice as she's trying to tell you because it's a bit of drama and she's got your attention. I think she lives for the drama and the dramatic moments over that garden fence. I think she might be a bit bored without them. I think she might. Did you give her some? Did you give her any food for thought at all? I'm talking about as if Gladys is a real person here now. <laughs> Can I just point out for the record, I do not have a neighbour called Gladys, or even that looks like Gladys. I do not gossip over the garden fence. Although, if there was a Gladys, I am sure as hell I would be stood there listening to every word she said to me. Yeah, I think I would be as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed that. It was really good, and it was very believable. And you can imagine that kind of person. That it's funny because it invoked memories in me of of sort of somebody that'd be in the 70s or the 80s, telling this kind of story. Oh, brilliant, because I imagine Gladys in her 70s when I wrote her, so that was well done. Excellent. I'm glad you picked that up. I was, I was impressed. I liked that. I think it was really good. It kind of just had that twist at the end as well, which was, mm, that's made me think, is Gladys going to be coming in or is she going to be sending somebody in to murder you in your bed one night? You keep your doors <laughs> locked. Well, luckily she's an old dear. Hopefully she won't be able to do too much damage if she tries. Yeah, and she's not real. (laughs) Oh, yeah, there there is that part of it as well. She's not real. (laughs) Right, so let's move on to story number three then, which is your very own story, which is so quirky it was unreal. And I I was only about a third of the way through it before I realised what or who your main character was. I'll say no more. I'm going to say something now. So I'm actually going to dedicate this story to you. Because (laughs) I I remember many years ago, something your sister once said to you, that your worst nightmare would be onion-flavoured spider's legs. I remember that conversation. I was quitting smoking. You were, yeah. And I spent 18 months on an electronic cigarette that I just would not put down, even after 
it didn't have any tobacco in it anymore. And that's where that came from. Just imagine it was onion-flavoured spider's legs. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you for that reminder. It's quite all right. Can I just say that before you read your story, I haven't smoked in over a decade. Excellent. It stunts your growth. I'll be forever short, but hey, I'm healthier. <laughs> <laughs> Crack on with your story now, shall we? Phew, that was a close call. I was nearly caught and only just managed to make my escape. But at least I have food now which should last me for a couple of weeks. It's been a strange year. Everybody has been at home. No one has been going out anywhere, not even to work. For someone who relies on empty houses to ensure that I can eat and sleep, it has been very stressful. Not that my life is easy at the best of times. I am viewed as a pariah, along with all the other tragic souls who don't own or rent their homes. Don't get me wrong, it's not all bad. At least from my stealth I am able to sleep indoors even though it can be difficult at times. My heart pounding, I start to eat my spoils when I see two beady eyes peering at me. Oh no, it's Clive. You might remember Clive from Christmas. I hated him. He knew where I lived and did his utmost to let everyone else in the house know about my presence. Not that anyone took any notice of him. He was a bit of a hooligan and obviously being a cat he couldn't talk so the inhabitants of the house just ignored him. He couldn't get to me as the space wasn't big enough for him to squeeze though, although he spent hours trying. He was the main reason that I normally only came out for food every few days when he was out and the coast was clear. The only other person who knew of my existence apart from Clive, not that Clive's a person, was Sean, the youngest member of the household. He spent quite a long time talking with me and promised to always protect me and it was under Sean's bed that I lived. Now I'm quite an astute little chap. After all, I have brought over a thousand offspring into the world, looking after them as babies and sending them out into the big wide world as adults. Being an astute chap, I overheard a conversation that the husband was having on his mobile. Now my hearing is brilliant. I do have eight ears. Well, technically not ears, they're on my legs. But the conversation was extremely interesting. I worked out that the husband was hiding something from his wife and it was in the Ottoman space under Sean's mattress. However, I wasn't the only one who overheard the conversation. So did his wife. The ensuing mayhem was quite comical to watch. I crept out from my hiding space to watch the missiles flying around the bedroom. Poor Sean was pressed up against the wall in his bedroom, tears streaming down his face as he watched his parents throw all his Star Wars figures at each other, slamming them against the wall, shattering into pieces with the force of the throw. Sean started screaming, watching his toys being thrown by his parents, none of them making contact with the intended target. He was really upset. Sean's sister ran into the room to see what was happening. I crept out to get a better view. The next thing I saw were the gleaming white, what looked like sharp columns, coming towards me and closing over my body, trapping me in a prison I couldn't escape from. My legs were battling outside the cage bars, trying to get a grip to escape. Peering out from the white barred prison, I saw Sean coming towards me. Clive, drop him, he screamed. Sean was trying to save me. He made a huge lunge for Clive, who ran away from Sean. That was the last thing I remembered before the sharp white pillars pierced my body and everything went black.
this is the quirkiest story you have written by a mile. Do you think and, so? Yes. I know you've written stories before that involved Clive. Clive is getting such a big head, he's becoming podcast famous, no shadow of a doubt. <laughs> but as for your main character, I've spent the first paragraph or two thinking it was going to be about like a squatter that had moved into the attic while nobody was home one day and was like coming down and eating the family's food while they were out at work or something like that. And it was only as you read on them like, hang on a minute, just to hang on a cotton picking minute. She's talking about a bloody spider. And I'm like absolutely fascinated. I hate spiders with a vengeance. They are the most malevolent creatures known to man anyway, bar none. But you almost, almost made me feel sorry for your spider in your story. Yeah, I quite felt sorry for him, actually, because he didn't deserve that ending. I mean, he was a friendly little chap, you know, and he was dad to thousands. Yeah, let's not think about that. <laughs> sorry. I don't want to think about him having thousands, as long as his thousands of children are all in your house and not mine. What is under the bed? In nine out of ten cases, something there's spiders under your bed. Really? Bits of research that you do out there. And it's really funny because I don't really know that much about spiders. Well, yeah, I had to do some research. And I just thought, you know, this little boy's got this little friend that lives under his bed that he talks to, that he says he'll look after. Yeah. It's quite nice because Sean quite likes spiders. He's not frightened of them. I think that's actually quite a nice touch. And I'll tell you for why. I have a five-year-old grandson who spent a long time with this little perspex box with a slidey lid in the top and he used to go around the garden looking for spiders to put in it so he could sit and chat with them. Well, there you go then. So you were spot on with Sean there. Yeah. So Sean, Sean kind of sort of talks to him and looks after him. And I think because I've just bought a new bed and it's one of those that, you know, you can store things in. Um, and there's no room for anybody to get underneath it. The spider lives underneath it. And nobody can get at him. Clive can't get at him. And it's only when all that melee happened that he came out to nosy what was going on. Because I didn't know that spiders have eight ears. But they're not. They're like sonar things on their legs that pick up. And they can hear things up to six feet away. They've got ears on their legs. Well, they're not ears as such. They're like sonic receptors on their legs. But haven't they got like eight eyes as well? I don't know. I've no idea. I didn't get that. I just wanted to know what their ears were. God. So I've not done a lot of research about spiders. I mean, I'd like you, I'm not very keen on spiders. Do you remember when I got bit by one? Yes, I do. Yeah. So I'm not overly keen on, on spiders. I don't harm them. I just leave them to run around wherever they want to go. I do quite like also in your story, the way you've alluded to a bit of mayhem in the family and secrets being kept by the husband. Yeah. Interesting. He takes a lot in, this little spider of yours. Of course, he's a very intelligent guy. Well, was a very intelligent guy. Yeah. Yeah. And part of me felt a little bit sorry for him. Because he's like scrabbling around, he's got all these kids to keep, he's trying not to find all this food, he's befriending the youngest child in the house, he's privy to all the family see oh my god why am i talking about this spider like it's a little person <laughs> see what you've done there you go you see i love you liking spiders 
I don't think you're well known in a million years. Well, we can try. You were quite happy with that. I didn't give him a name, though, did I? No. Well, I think that's quite a good thing because you killed yeah. him. I know. If you give him a name, then everybody really would feel sorry for him. So let's just keep it how it is. Yeah, okay. I remember once upon a time I hairsprayed a spider so much that it couldn't move in the end when the hairspray set. See, that's animal cruelty. It's a spider. It's animal cruelty. Who allowed it into my bath in the first place? Well, no, no idea, but you could just have picked it up and put it outside. Picked it up? What, in yeah. my hand? Yeah. You are ridiculous. No, I'm not. Shall we read Carolyn's story? I think we should, yeah, before we get all the spider lovers emailing into the podcast, having a go at you. <laughs> you killed a spider in your story. Maybe they should have a go at you. Yeah, but that was fiction. You actually did it. Guilty runner. Yeah. Carolyn's story, I believe, is a tad on the sort of psychological thrillerish side. Yes, it is. And it is my absolute pleasure to read it to you. This is a story called The Perpetrator, written for the Under the Bed writing prompt by Carolyn Ward Daniels. Bradley was making fun of his sister and mum the latter watching the film through her plattered fingers and his sister peeping over a cushion as if it would make it less scary. Even with his taunts of, it's not real, he wished he wasn't watching Pet Cemetery. The under-the-bed scene made him physically jump. He couldn't lose face now, so he had to watch. At 22, he was the only man in the house and his mum and young sister did run around after him, which actually made him the weakest. He never cooked, laundered, cleaned or helped in any way. He didn't know how much a loaf of bread or a pint of milk cost. Any girls he dated gave up on him after realising he couldn't pick up after himself and didn't even try. Bradley was relieved when the film finished and he retired to bed. As soon as he walked into his bedroom, the dark gap under the bed scared him. He leapt into bed from two feet away, not daring to get his ankles close. He thought about the terrified faces of the victims being chased. But how must the perpetrator have felt? Not scared, excited even. He then thought, how would he feel in a wood alone at night? And would he be scared if he was the perpetrator? These musings excited him. And he imagined following a lone girl under cover of darkness, of her becoming aware and petrified and running and him driving the fear. He found this unbelievably exciting. Where would this place be? What would he wear? He hated walking in the dark alone, but this would be different. People would be scared of him. This would give him steel, he thought about the local area. He had grown up there, and he knew the parks, walks and shortcuts. He went to sleep dreaming about it. He woke up thinking about his proposed adventure. It would make him fearless. He put a black bandana in his hoodie pocket to use as a face mask if the opportunity arose. He hadn't got a clue how it would. Then one evening, his 17-year-old sister, Penny, had a girlfriend turn up. They spent an hour in Penny's room, and at just gone nine, Bradley heard Penny and her friend clattering downstairs. He was just sauntering to the kitchen. Penny said, Bradley, can you walk Vicky part way home? She's running a bit late and doesn't like walking through the park on her own. Why don't you go? I've homework, she lied. 
Bradley grudgingly asked where she lived. On the Manford estate the other side of the park. I said I'd be home for nine, so I haven't got time to go around the park, but I don't like the wooded bit. It creeps me out. Bradley smelled the whiff of fear and said, Yeah, all right. Just the other side of the gates, I'll be fine. He pulled on his hoodie and they set off. Vicky talked about her favourite music, which Bradley wasn't into. He was more interested in her nervous glances at the clumps of bushes lining the path. Three of the five lamps had been broken, so it was pretty dark. She thanked him a little way from the gates and they parted. Now it was his turn to be nervous. This was his test. He could have gone out of the park and gone the long way round, but he wanted to challenge himself and he dared himself to go into the wooded area. As soon as he left the path and he was hidden, his nerves calmed because he was the perpetrator. The moon was a sliver on its back so there was little light. He shone his phone torch just to settle himself, then he heard voices. He pulled out the black bandana and tied it as a face mask and pulled over his hood. He heard two girls giggling, one saying, I know, at first I didn't expect her, then I didn't think she was going to go. I saw her turn up and waited ages for her to leave. She hates me, thinks I stole a boyfriend. Anyways, see you tomorrow. See ya. Bradley couldn't believe his luck. He had a choice of two victims. His trial run may as well be on the way home, he thought, closer to get away. His pulse gathered speed as he made his move. A twig snapped under his foot and he saw the dark shape of the girl stop a couple of seconds and then she started walking fast and he hurried through the bushes. The noises sounded so loud and the girl picked up pace and so did he, his adrenaline bubbling. He heard a little cry some 30 metres ahead and he nearly stopped but couldn't. His head was buzzing. This is what it feels like. So much control. He sprang onto the path. The girl looked round and then ran crying, No, no, no. He chased on and then he thought, What was he going to do when he caught her? And stopped. He then realised she would tell someone and he would be hunted. He ripped off the bandana and stuffed it deep into a bush. He turned and ran all the way back to where he had parted with Vicky and took the long way home. When he reached home, a police car was parked outside. He broke out in a sweat. They can't know it's me, surely. He dawdled through the front door and found a policewoman and his mum comforting his sister who was sobbing and shaking. Penny looked petrified. I do like the way that Carolyn constructs a story. She seems to get inside the head of her characters. Um, I mean, Bradley's a bit of a a piece of work, isn't he? I mean, he's frightened of watching the the under-the-bed scene in Pet Cemetery. Yeah. Uh, But yet he goes out and wants to stalk somebody and thinks that that'll be absolutely fine. Yeah. I think he's probably going to be a serial stalker of women, if not much worse. It, It kind of amazed me, though, that he couldn't tell it was his own sister he was stalking. Does he take any notice of anything? I'm not sure he does. It's not very observant of him. But then again, there is, you know, the story does imply that Bradley is the weakest member of the family, does nothing for himself. Yeah. I mean, this is all purely fantasy of a child, really, who happens to be in a 22-year-old adult body, so more than capable of being quite dangerous. It's quite an unnerving combination. 
I have got to say, though, I am with Bradley on not wanting to watch the Under the Bed scene from Pet Cemetery. Awesome film, that. I don't remember the Under the Bed scene off the top of my head. Oh, yeah, the recently resurrected from the dead Gage Creed. Yeah. He's Judd, played by Fred Gwynn. That's the next door neighbour. Is that the guy that played Herman Munster? It is, yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure he was in Car 54, Where Are You, as well, but that's possibly a bit before your time. Good grief. I've never heard of that. Is that a Have film? No, it was a series, an American series. Just Google it. Car 50, I'm sure it's Car 54, Where Are You? Car 54, Where Are You? Yeah. What's Car 54? Is it a police car? Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it, when, you, when you've got all this technology. American sitcom. Yeah. Crikey. Am I right? He was in Car 54, Where Are You, weren't he? Do you know that's 1961? Well, it was the year I was born, so... I didn't exist then. Yes, it was him. Yeah, so there you go. Gosh, he was quite nice when he was young. Look at that. It's still got that classic really, really long face, though. You can see Harry grew up to be Herman Munster. We're easily distracted, aren't we, and easily digress from the yeah. from the story. But look what Carolyn's invoked in us. We've gone toddling off to 1961 to car 54. I know. How weird is that? Yeah. What I want to know is, is Bradley going to learn his lesson from this or will he just step his game up and be even more dangerous? Well, I think when he realises it was his sister that he followed, I think he's such a twisted, sick little individual that he'll make her life hell. think so. Yeah, I do, because he's the weaker one, so he has to to make himself appear stronger by picking on people and I think that's why he went out stalking, to make himself look big. That's quite disturbing, that is. The sort of person that Bradley could quite conceivably grow up to be. Had he been a real person, we weren't talking well, about this, a fictional yeah. character. Here we go again. <laughs> we do this all the time. We just believe too easily. We do. But that's the sign of a good story, isn't it? Yeah. But Carolyn is an excellent writer. She always does this to us. It's she so does. easy to believe in whatever she's written. Do you know has she submitted anything for next week? Of course she has. Next week is absolutely our last episode. Not the last episode ever. No, the last oh, episode of season three. Don't oh, panic. Don't, don't do panic, that to Mr. Mannerin. <laughs> oh, don't God, do no, that I look old. Me. You do, don't you? But you yeah. are. Sorry? I said you are. I'm never going to be as old as you are. Carry on like that and you'll never live as long as me. Anywho, about next week then, moving swiftly on... Right, well, the next week, the last episode of season three, and this has got no writing prompt at all, so you can write about whatever you like. It's a free-for-all. I don't know whether that's harder or easier. I find writing to a brief a little bit easier. Give me a free reign and you never know. I'll still be procrastinating this time next week and missing the proverbial boat. Knowing you, yes. Absolutely. So what have we got coming up then next week, Daisy? Are you going to give us a bit of a tantalising tidbit? We have got four flash fiction stories for you next week for our final episode of season three, none of which are written by either myself or April. So we have chosen other people's stories to round off this season. And I think that's only fitting because we have had some absolutely magnificent contributions to the podcast this season. And thank you all so very, very much for taking part and just coming along for the ride with us. We really appreciate it so much. We have got Billy's Law, which is written by TJ Spencer. We have got Brave Bear, 
which is written by Jane Love, The Last Mascara, Carolyn Ward-Daniels, and Topless Tees, ooh la la, by Dean Wrigley. <laughs> we are hoping to have an introduction to each and every one of those from the authors themselves. I'm going to get my own way and have a chat with each of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You are so stubborn. I am. It would be nice to have a chat with each of them, though, wouldn't it? I think it would. It'd be a nice round off to the to the podcast, but that means then I can procrastinate for as long as I like because I don't have to write one. I will expect one from you when the anthology is ready to go. I promise I will write one for you for this, some free flow. I might resurrect Clive again. Yes, he does seem to be quite a regular for you now. He deserves it. He's an angel. He is not. Do you know, in real life, he is worse <laughs> than in any of those stories. He was the naughtiest of kittens when he was tiny, though. I remember distinctly coming home from work when Clive was only a couple of months old and the kitchen was wrecked. It completely trashed the place. It looked like something out of a movie when I walked in the back door. I was horrified. And I'm like, how could just something so tiny and cute be so damn destructive? And I remember, and then I came up to help you clear it up. Yeah. And then we left and came back down to mine, and he launched himself out of the bathroom window, do you remember, and stood at my back door when we got to my house. <laughs> got there before like, we did. He did, and he was like, not yet three month old. He was just a horror. Yes, absolutely. You, going back to Clive's stories, do you remember that time when he wouldn't eat and you brought him down to me and we put some tuna on the floor? Yeah. And you'd only had him about four or five days, I think, hadn't you? And he one just of my, wasn't eating anything. No. One of my cats, Alfie, who was about three years old at the time, decided he was going to investigate Clive's dinner. And oh, Clive, as young as he was, he was like about seven weeks old. And he put this paw out with his little claws and he just dug his little claws into the top of Alfie's head and pinned his head to the ground while he ate his tuna. Yeah. And nothing has changed since then, nothing really. Nothing has changed. No, it hasn't. Adorable. When you got him, he just woke up. Yes. There's trouble from there. And on. now I've got him. Yes. You're welcome. I'm wondering what I did in a past life. <laughs> Most of it was in this one, let's face it. All right, then. As you will no doubt know by now, Bear Books will be publishing our first flash fiction anthology later this year. How could you not know? <laughs> we tell you often enough. Written by you, our fantastic listeners. We are hugely honoured that you've chosen to take part in this. The big thing is we decided that any profits we make from this anthology will go to charity and April and I have spent weeks and weeks debating which charity it is that we would like to donate any profits to and we have made a decision. Da, da, da. Book Trust UK, Getting Children Reading. We are super excited about this charity. They do some absolutely magnificent stuff. They are dedicated to getting children reading. Each year, they reach 3.9 million children across the UK with books, resources and support to help develop a love of reading. They get children reading in lots of different ways, but their priority is to get more children excited about books, rhymes and stories because if reading is fun, and let's face it, it is, children will want to do it with book resources, advice to encourage parents and carers to start reading with their babies right from the beginning, 
much of their focus is on early years because they've learned that starting early and involving the whole family is the best way to get children reading, which is why they also deliver more targeted programmes aimed at helping those who need them most. They want every child to have the best possible start in life and it's why they are so passionate about getting children reading and it's why April and I are so passionate about channeling any profits that we make with our Flash Fiction Anthology into this charity. We would be honoured to be a part of that very worthy cause. Right, we'll see you next week. See you next week, everybody. Bye. Bye. If you've read a book by an indie author that you've really enjoyed, email the title across to us at contactus at barebooks.co.uk. And if we read it, we will discuss it on the podcast. Excellent. If you happen to be an indie author and would like us to add your book to our reading list, maybe even come and talk about it on the podcast, send your suggestions to submissions at barebooks.co.uk. And if you fancy a go at writing flash fiction and want the chance to be published in our flash fiction anthology for 2021, pop onto our social media for the full list of writing prompts for this season and also the word count at Bear Books Podcast on Facebook and Instagram or at Bear Books Pod One on Twitter. Thanks to Simon Strong for the musical interludes. You can Instagram him at dadnap.mp3. Stay safe until next time. Thank you.